Well, welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Celia Becker, ENS Africa Executive for Africa Regulatory and Business Intelligence. Celia, thanks for joining us. And um, we are now zoning in on something that's really pertinent for multinational companies. That's your area of expertise. We're looking at the continent and how we want to grow trade and business and the economies throughout Africa. It's a big ticket. A lot of companies are getting are getting it right, but many more are struggling with this. But we've had an important development. We've heard a lot about it. The African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement has finally taken effect. And now this actually creates the largest free trade area in the world, which is really significant. So let's just start with this significant development. How positive is this for prospects um, in Africa going forward? Well, thanks, David. Um, the fact that all member states of the African Union, with the exception of Eritrea, have signed the agreement is obviously a clear and very positive indication of the collective intent for regional co cooperation on the continent. However, the effective implementation is far more complex and subject to various conditions to be successful. Um, as an example, not all African countries will benefit equally from a reduction in trade barriers. Um, and is expected to be a $4.8 billion lost tariff revenue for African nations, which will certainly impact on the willpower to implement the agreement for countries as losing out. The recent trade dispute between Kenya and Uganda is a case in point. And so, I mean, yeah, that's a very interesting point that, um, you know, we want to try and get this expanding more broadly. Have you got a sense of... Um, of the tariff revenue that um, you know that that could uh, you know could be impacted as a result. So, that to my knowledge, there's literally about 4.8 billion dollars of tariff revenue that will be um, impacted, and the expectation is that um, countries with a larger proportional gains would be the ones. Um, that are already trading quite openly and extensively in the region. So the smaller countries are the ones that, that will be kind of suffering as a result. One of the concerns, of course, is when you have uh, cheaper products, you know, effectively, I mean, it's, it's anti-dumping regulation is, is, is a big worrying theme. Um, it's recently um, hit, the, hit the news when it comes to, you know, South Africa's specific plans when it comes to localization. Um, what does this actually mean for, um, you know, for that uh, manufacturing products in, let's assume, lower cost countries that are part of this agreement? Um, how will that work? Yeah, I think some of the countries in Africa have already expressed concerns that products manufactured in low-cost countries would be dumped duty-free on the markets of jurisdictions with limited infrastructure and manufacturing capabilities, which would further reduce the manufacturing capacity and result in job losses potentially. Yeah, no, so there's still um, a little bit of work to be done in that. Um, and I suppose the participating jurisdictions would need to weigh up um, the potential increase in corporate and personal income tax, things like value-added tax, um, which would result from this, this agreement, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think in the end, any benefits from job creation and product diversification you know, can also count against the lost revenue. Um, but I think the bottom line is, without any adequate provision to compensate for losses from tariff revenue, um, it's unlikely that a, the, the agreement will be fully implement, implemented by all countries. And of course, um, Africa is not immune to trade disputes. Um, we recently had one between Kenya and Uganda, right? Which is, is, I suppose, an example of, 
you know, how this will have to play out. Exactly. So uh, it's early days, right? We've just implemented this. It's been a, a long process and quite drawn out. But the key is we want to see economic activity flourish across the continent. I mean, are you noticing already, I mean, certainly sentiment is fully behind this and supportive. Are you noticing an uptick in activity um, or the intention even to trade across borders as a result? I think what is quite positive is that there's both regional and country-specific um, positive responses to, to the free trade agreement. For instance, um, the six trade blocks in, on the continent have formed the African Business Council, some private lobby within the trade blocks. So effectively, this African Business Council is constituted as a continental umbrella body, which is um, responsible for spearheading the business agenda for the free trade agreement. And COMESA has also announced that it will establish a partnership, partnership framework to support the implementation of the continental trade regime. Um, at country level, and there's quite a few countries that have been implementing national implementation strategies. For instance, Kenya um, has done so already. Botswana's president has announced that its government has secured support from the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa to develop Botswana's national implementation strategy. And how's um, SACU, the, the Southern African Customs, Customs Union, doing um, when it comes to this implementation? Um, including Eswatini, Lesotho and Namibia in South Africa have signaled their commitment to the agreement by submitting their tariff offer which provides for preferential tariffs for imports from free trade member countries um, in February this year. However, Botswana, the remaining SACO member, has not yet ratified the agreement which is delaying the implementation of the agreement for all SACO countries. Yeah, um, when it comes to other countries, like uh, you mentioned Botswana, um, there's some interesting developments in, in Botswana, though, separately to, to SACU when it comes to um, the government actually securing broader support, right? Yes, and I think one of the announcements that the, that the President made is that the country is at an advanced stage of developing e an, an e-commerce strategy, uh -huh. um, which is aimed at using digital platforms to facilitate trade, which will definitely contribute to the implementation of the agreement in a significant way. And other countries like Zambia, Nigeria, Ghana, also quite prominent in how they are laying the groundwork, as it were, to, to benefit. Correct. Um, so Nigeria is focusing in a very practical way on creating an enabling environment for businesses in specified sectors such as technology, agriculture, medical and mining. Um, the federal government has recently approved the expansion of existing free trade zones and they've also introduced some new zones in the medical and agricultural sectors, directly in response to the demands of the free trade agreement. Zambia, um, who has ratified the agreement as recently as the 5th of February, has announced that it will shortly be issuing a statutory instrument under the Customs and Excise Act, which is required for the agreement to have the force of law in Zambia. And of course, if we break that down further, which sectors specifically could benefit the most over the next couple of years, in, in your view? Well, looking at the recent trends in trading, um, I think there's a reasonable expectation that trading manufactured goods, food and agricultural products will increase, while natural resources will obviously remain a key commodity. Um, I think we've also seen some opportunities in the information and communication sectors.
And of course, when we look at business-friendly policies, it's, it's critical, though, that we have those types of policies in place. Are you finding that the supporting environment is strong enough um, across most countries, or is still a lot of work to be done in that regard? I think it is well known that it is still quite difficult to do business in African jurisdictions as compared to the rest of the world. As an example, only two African economies rank in the top 10 of the World Bank's 2020 Ease of Doing Business report, um, which is Mauritius at number 13 out of 190, and Rwanda at number 38. What is very promising is that Rwanda remains at the forefront of driving the continuous improvement of its business environment. Um, after I've done a complete overhaul of the Income Tax Act and Companies Act in 2018, in February this year, I gazetted a partnership law that also set up the Kigali International Financial Center, which is aimed at becoming a leading financial center for global investors seeking pan-African opportunities. The two other countries that stand out is Kenya, which has also been focused on facilitating the ease of doing business. They introduced the Business Laws Amendment Act earlier this year, which amends a lot of legislation, including the Law of Contract and the Companies Act, in line with this objective. And quite a surprising one for me is Nigeria. Um, it has specifically been noted in the World Bank's report for the notable improvement in its business environment. Over the last year, it has reduced the number and um, the time needed to register a company, it has improved its online platforms and simplified the process for business premise registrations. Fabulous. No, it sounds like a lot happening there. Now, now of course, the focus here when, when, when I listen to you and look at this is, is clearly trade and investment. But is enough actually being done to create the enabling environment? And, and there I'm looking really at infrastructure. You know, you can't do all of this and have this trade if you have poor and weak infrastructure, bad implementation. I know in South Africa we, we're talking, of, the president has mentioned unlocking one trillion rand in infrastructure spending, but that'll be over four years. You know, so, so just your thoughts on, you know, is, is this actually doable in the, in the shorter term or are we looking at, at, at a much longer period yet to, to get it right? Well, I think we're looking at a much longer, longer period. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic hasn't helped. You know, with these various key infrastructure projects whose delivery has been delayed by COVID. So I just think looking at the environment that we're dealing with, um, I do think there's a lot, lot longer time frame that we're looking at. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, I mean, the other area is incentives for the private sector. It's one of those things that, you know, we, we, we're reading about in, in countries like Rwanda, etc. Um, but more broadly, um, from your perspective, and I think I know your expertise is also tax when it comes to tax regimes. Uh, do, you, do you agree that uh, quite a bit more needs to be done in that regard as well in tandem with this, this agreement? Definitely. So I think obviously investors in infrastructure are looking at targeted tax relief and simplified administrative procedures, particularly in respect of the importation of the equipment and materials. Another key issue is the difficulty of getting key expatriate staff members into a country. Um, there's often long delays and very high costs of obtaining work permits and visas for staff members that's required in the country. Um, I think what is definitely needed is, is an inclusive consultative approach with investors. And governments have to develop a holistic policy framework in consultation with stakeholders to make sure that the specific needs of various parties are addressed. And just the last question, Celia, I'm really intriguing um, to break it all down and, and certainly positive. But one of the one of the big hindrances, of course, is corruption 
and and the corruption that that can run fairly deep. I mean, that that's what we're sitting with in South Africa, and we've, we're fighting through that. Um, is enough being done to tackle this illicit the illicit financial flows really out of Africa, and and what needs to be done in that regard, in in your view? Yeah, as you rightly point out, it remains a huge issue. Um, I've seen a United Nations report from 2020 that basically kind of estimates that something like $88 billion leave, annually, leave Africa annually. Sure. So that is a huge amount. Unfortunately, um, African countries have largely been unable to stem illicit um, flow, financial flows, mm. mainly due to not having strong institutions, not having the capacity to monitor large multinationals, and not correcting the right data. So there's a clear need for strengthening relevant institutions, collecting more and better data, which again requires an investment in data infrastructure. So really important development um, as far as African trade goes, certainly a step in the right direction. I think it's, it's, it's positive for business sentiment. Um, a couple of uh, concerns still, of course, um, and certainly larger and more broader concerns when it comes to things like the supportive and enabling environment, but certainly a step in the right direction. Celia, thanks for unpacking this and breaking it down. been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much.